Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 55 of Bubba and the Batflip, and Bubba and I will be taking a look at some uh, pitcher ADP uh, debates or battles. I'm not. I'm not. I think I called it battle last time, but that seems a little maybe too too aggressive, but we're going to we're gonna debate and, and talk through some uh, starting pitchers that are pretty close in the two early mock ADP to figure out which ones we like more, which ones we like less, and I think you more valuable just kind of discussing some of the skills and some of the um, positives where things might be able to go right for them, where they might be able to go wrong uh, in 2021. Um, as always, really appreciate all of you listening. Um, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do leave a, a rating and review. Um, always appreciate that. Um, thanks to everybody who has who has already done that. If you already have, um, and if you haven't, uh, take a couple minutes uh, minutes to do that if you wouldn't mind. Um, you can reach me at on Twitter at batflipcrazy. Bubba is on Twitter at bdntrek. Um, the election is coming up. It's on Tuesday. Um, and so again, uh, there's going to be another little fun little, uh, advertisement, um, uh, for voting, uh, coming up in the next little bit. So please do, uh, get those ballots in. Um, you know, at this point in time, it's probably best if you are doing mail-in to bring those directly in, uh, to your local clerk's office instead of mailing them, uh, since we are a week within the election and best of luck to everybody who is, uh, who is voting and, and who has that uh, that opportunity um, to do that. So, all right, that's it. Uh, let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 55. Going to keep going on some too early mocks, ADP information. Going to go to the starting pitching realm. Last week, we did some uh, hitters and positions and Compared some like young guys and some older guys and whatnot, we're gonna do that in the starting pitching area. Guys drafted in the top 200 picks uh, according to the two early mocks ADP. Thanks to Smata for making that happen yet again, and Justin Mason for putting on the two early mocks. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host as always on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? Uh, we we're doing pretty well, Bubba. You know, as well as as two Northern California guys can do after the Dodgers win their first World Series and. In uh, in thirty some odd days, I mean, I feel like there was always there was always the battle, like where I grew, where, well, where we both grew up, right? It's like, do you like the A's or do you like the Giants? You yeah. know, and when we were growing up, the Giants weren't very good, and the A's were pretty good, Bash Brothers and everything like that. But um, but we all could agree on something, right? And that was that we hated the Dodgers, and uh, so I kind of grew up with that. But it's nice to see Kershaw get his and. They've got a great team. I think it's hard to it's hard to argue with the fact that they were the best team this year. And when the best team wins, you know, you just kind of kind of got to take your hat off and say a couple, mutter a couple negative words under your breath while you're congratulating them on on, on taking the World Series. So, yep. no, I'm with you. I, I could have went the rest of my life without seeing them celebrate, but I'm also I'm also realistic. It's like they have a heck of a ball club. I've said it many times on many shows. I respect the hell out of a lot of their players. Kershaw, seeing him get a ring, like that's awesome. Like there's not like he's one of the best pitchers in our era to see pitch to see him get a ring. That's pretty cool. So I can't knock that at all. Um, eventually, if you spend 250 million plus a year, you're going to win one. How how it, how it works? <laughs> but um, they have a lot of good young players. Like you got you got Mookie, you traded for, but you got Bellinger and Seager and even Rios and all Jock was hitting. Like they just had it all going. There's Urias was awesome. 
So, yeah, they were a great team. Kudos to them. Gave the shout-out to the boys, uh, Maddie and Vlad and Brock and all those guys. So good for them. It took 32 years. I'm glad you guys finally got one. That's that's good. Now you can stop for another 32. That would be awesome too. But um, we'll see how next year goes. The Giants are coming. Just remember, Farhan built them. Now he's building the Giants. It's coming. But uh, congrats to the Dodgers. It's over. And we move on to the offseason. We were kind of talking before the show. Today was a day where a lot of guys got non-tendered. A lot of guys didn't get their options picked up. It's going to be a wild offseason, Toby. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm here for it. But it's going to be crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, It is going to be crazy. I mean, Colton Wong today, um, uh, I I timed that perfectly with Cubby Knowles' comment over here on the side. Yeah, so Wong's, Wong's, Wong's out and... You know, it's just an example of where there's these 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 really solid guys, right? Really good defensively, or bring a good amount to the table. I think he's like a three war player. I saw, you know, uh, Saris had a little tweet about him, you know, and and that's kind of a bargain. And it's 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 the type of player that you have a handful of those guys on your team, and that can make you competitive if you have enough of the guys who are who are stars. And so. You know, just seeing him kind of get shortchanged already, it's going to be a long and just awful, like, offseason just in terms of the messaging around, mm-hmm. you know, us billionaires are in such a really tough spot. we got to cut, you know, regular people's salary and stuff like that. Um, we got to cut, you know, um, player salaries and, and things. And we're going to see a lot of good players, I think, who you would have never thought hit the open market who who do that. And it's going to be interesting to see which teams take advantage of that and, and um you know, it should be it should be exciting, but then also like just kind of writing on the wall for 2022 as we head into the collective bargaining bargaining agreement. So enjoy 2021 uh, while it's while it's there, I guess. Yeah, we saw some of the bargaining this year. We're going to see more of it this off off season for 2021, the DH and all that good stuff. Let alone a lot of people that aren't going to get paid what they should get paid, and it's going to get real interesting. As they head into 2022, like you said, these billionaires with the woe is me situation, it'll be very, very tough to watch all that take place. And I'd love to see the numbers. I don't think we'll ever see the real numbers because that's always been the problem with the situation. But like NBA released their numbers today and inside the bubble, I think they, they by doing the bubble format the way they did, I think they only lost anywhere from like 10 to $20 million or something like because they gained so much revenue from TV and everything else by doing the bubble. That's the whole purpose of the playoff bubbles and stuff like that that just the fact they did that, they limited the losses so much. So there's a really, really good chance that uh, these owners, yes, they lost money, not going to deny that at all, but uh, they did not lose nearly as much as they want to make us cry for. So it'll be interesting to see how that takes place. But you guys are here for fantasy baseball talk, so we're going to get to that. Yes, I think they are. We don't know. I can be really stupid if I want. I, I think can, yeah, I, I think they're here for the video of us talking. I think so. I can rabbit hole somewhere if they want. For I sure. can like really go. But like I said at the beginning, we're going to do some uh, starting pitching ADP debates from the two early mocks. And it's kind of fun because um, starting pitching is a very – can be controversial topic from time to time depending on who you like and why you like them and what you're looking at and lots of ways to kind of dissect starting pitching. So it's fun talking about it here. And we're going to start off with a three-man ADP debate, and it's near the top of the uh, ADPs here for starting pitching. Like I said, if you guys need to check out Smata, did a great job, as always, putting these together. But we're going to start with Max Scherzer, seventh starting pitcher off the board, around pick 27. You have Aaron Nola, the eighth pitcher, right behind him, about 27 and a half. And then you have Luis Castillo, the ninth pitcher, at 28.6. So they're all going about a pick apart at the um, back end of round two. 
So if you're going pocket aces, this could be your SP2, Toby. Or if you went hitter first, this could be your SP1, wrapping it around with a Flaherty or a Kershaw or something. So how do you uh, kind of decipher between these three? Yeah, I mean, they're all together for a reason, right? They're all, uh, all three are very good pitchers that all have varying lengths of, um, of track record behind them, obviously different ages as well. Um, I think that's a major, major piece right there. And then success in 2020 as well, I think is painting the picture. Um, and so for me, you know, this is a really good one to start off with because I just feel like there's so much, there's so much going on here. Like Scherzer has been an ace for such a long time. Um, and, and I, and I feel like in 2020, again, you know, not a normal scenario, we started to see still very good skills, very good player. You know, the Babbitt was way up. Um, he was giving up a lot of hard contact. You started to see a little bit of slippage though. I mean, he's actually been on the, on the uptick for the last two years in terms of skills, skills definitely down this year. Um, the walk rate was up, although, you know, how much of that was earned or not. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is like, we have such a small sample size over the course of a longer season. I feel a lot more comfortable with some of these that, that over the course of the season, right? Like, um, the walk percentage will be a better indicator than maybe some of the peripherals that we see, like percentage of pitches that are balls, things of that nature. But, you know, Max worries me a, a little bit just because there is a little bit of that slippage. You know, there is the age factor. I think he's going to be, is he going to be 36 or 37 heading into next year or something like that? He'll be 37 next July. He's going to be 37 next July. Um, I don't think the NL East is is necessarily an easy division to pitch in. Obviously the schedule is going to be, is going to be dependent as well, but we've gotten kind of like two out of the last three um, halves of seasons, I guess you would say. We've had him have some issues with, the quality of contact that he's given up. We see that with the exit velocities up a little bit. The barrels had a really big jump, I think. And also you saw him struggle a lot third time through the order this year. And there's a couple of things that concern me there is number one, he's only had the repertoire where that doesn't impact him as much. And second of all is the usage by Davey Martinez. He just doesn't seem to feel comfortable taking him out of the game before he hits like 110 pitches. He's no Kevin Cash. And literally, like, if you take out some of those outings where, you know, like, I think there was one where he ended on 96 pitches and he had thrown a, a really good game against the Marlins, I think it was. And then they threw him back out there and he gave up four runs while recording one out in the next inning. So, like, they need to be a little bit smarter there, but I'm just not sure, given his competitive spirit and given kind of just his who he is in the, in the landscape of pitchers, whether they're going to be comfortable doing that. So that gives me a little bit of pause. So I actually think out of those three, he may be number three for me. Um, again, you know, I, I'm doing this without a full deep dive into everything. So take that for what it's worth. I think the guy that I'd have ranked number two out of this group is probably uh, – well, and Bubba, let me know if you want to, like, jump in here as I go through. The no, I'm here. good. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Uh, so Luis Castillo, I think um, – I liked what I saw this year just in terms of, like, what he was – you know, the, um, the walk rate was lower, I want to say. And even though he had the higher Babbitt, he was still able to be successful. The one thing in the back of my mind is he did face the NL Central though, right? The NL and AL Central. And I can't remember which podcast I was listening to, but 
Um, they did a great job of highlighting like the, the discrepancy between the divisions and kind of who, who some of these guys face. I mean, I know Luis Castillo when he was doing really well towards the end of the season, I think he got the pirates twice, like just like really bad lineups in a row. And that may not happen next year, depending on what this, what happens with the schedule, you know, so the control is still a little bit of an issue. And I still am just a little bit worried about the, the, the dependency on the changeup. It's similar to Patrick Corbin, where I was like a little bit hesitant last year because he's so reliant on the slider, obviously like he was good to do two previous years with it. But when he's not getting the chase on that pitch, he cannot, he doesn't, he's not as effective at getting strikes on pitches inside the zone as, as other players who are kind of at this level are, but I still really like him because, um, you know, he's just shown that he's been good now for pretty much, you know, all but one half of his three seasons in the majors. And I agree. I mean, I think he's, as Mata says here, he's a good value at the end of second round. I agree too. I think there's a no, lot. He's talking play. about, he's a good sec late round second baseman, Luis Castillo of the old Marlins. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's making Smart, jokes. Why are you doing jokes. That? Why are you smell? Why are you joking? Why are you making me think that says second round? <laughs> I have bad eyes. I have bad eyes. Um, and so, um, so the guy who I actually like the most out of this group is Nola. Um, surprisingly, like I hate myself for one reason, and that is because last year in the off season, I had this tweet, November twentieth, twenty nineteen, where I said, "Yeah, last year Aaron Nola was a second round pick. His current NFBC ADP is forty eight. Last 10 games started, and then I go through about how he was awesome over, like, the last 10 games, um, including a pitch mix change, I think, that he had, um, uh, where he faded his sinker, and I think he he, he increased his change-up usage, I want to say, or something like that, whatever. And I give, did this, like, little hearty eyes sign. Well, guess how many shares of NOLA I had last year? A big, fat zero. And I think it, it, it's one of these situations where he had a really bad half. He had a terrible half where he wasn't himself. But when you look at him from like, like one, one metric that I looked at last year, which I unfortunately didn't integrate enough and I should actually go back and look at whether it was effective, but where he was kind of like at the top of starting pitchers last year was CSW. So called plus swinging strike rate. And he throws curveballs and changeups. And so he gets more called strikes than the, your traditional pitcher. And so I like CSW. I think it captures a little bit better his, his strikeout upside maybe than, than swinging strike in and of itself. Whereas it's the opposite with, with Luis Castillo a little bit because he can't get called strikes, but he does that. And he does, he, he, he does throw a ton of strikes. So he, he throws very few number percentage of his pitches, his balls, which was made. So that walk percentage, the first half of 2019, so surprising. And so I really love what he did there. And I think when you look at him, I think he's, you know, he's a higher ground ball rate guy, not necessarily as elite as Castillo is, but, um, you know, his, his Babbitt kind of got closer to what it's been throughout his career this year. And even with a 20% home run for a fly ball rate, he was still a really good pitcher because he wasn't walking guys. He increased that strikeout rate with the pitch up pitch mix change. And most importantly, to sum it all up, he's got two really good pitches in the changeup and the curveball, I think. And so he may not have that dominant fastball, but he's got those two off-speed pitches that are really, really great pitches. And I think that makes him, for me, kind of a cut above maybe these other two guys because of the factors that I that I mentioned there. So that was a really long spiel about that, but that's kind of where I am at this point in time. How about you? What do you what do you feel like? Yeah, for me, I, I got Scherzer three as well. The the age slash injury started to catch up to you eventually. 
And that really concerns me with Scherzer. The stuff's electric. I'm not going to deny it. And I'm not going to tell him to uh, to come out of a game either. I understand Davey Martinez's concerns. I'd like to go home and sleep quietly in my own bed too. So um, I get it. But we saw it time and time again. You know, it, Like you said, third time through the order, it was like almost every sixth inning on, it got ugly for Scherzer. Like the home run rate went through the roof uh, this year compared to years past, the hard hit rates, all that good stuff. So uh, that is a big, big concern. So, yeah, it comes down to Nola and comes down to Luis Castillo. And it, it's very, very close. Like when you look at Luis Castillo, you mentioned it. Um, the BABIP went up to 329 this year compared to being in the 260s to 280s most of the time. So that was a bit surprising to have a guy do so well. Like his ground ball rate was the best he's ever had. His home run to fly ball dropped 5% from last year, almost 5.5%. So he kept the ball in the ballpark a lot more. Could be credit to the Central, like you said, facing the Tigers and the Pirates and the Royals and all that good stuff. But, you know, even with all that, a 3 2 one ERA with a 2 6 5 fit, 2 8 2 fit, he was very good at an XERA. Depending on what X stats you want to look at, it was like a 3 4 Everything he did said he actually should have been better, which is pretty crazy to look at. His uh, K-to-walk rate was the best he's had in a long, long time. So the, the concern with Castillo is always, is he going to walk guys or is he going to – get it together because the change up's electric. He still uses the slider 17% of the time, almost 18%. When he uses that sinker and that that forcing fastball, it's almost like he needs to ditch one of those two and use the uh, change up and slider a little more often. That would go a long ways for him. So if the pitch mix can change, and I was, I was trying to see if it was just this year and that's why he had more success. No, it was almost identical percentages of 2019. It's just more uh, location. He's throwing more first pitch strikes. He was throwing it in the zone more. He was getting more swing and miss in the zone this year and less guys chasing the ball. So it, I think a lot of it could be just the teams he faced. Still a very, very good pitcher. I'm not going to take that away from him at all. But he, he probably got a little bit of help there. So then it comes down to Aaron Nola. And that is a, a big boy thing he did this year. 33.2% K rate. I know it was a small sample, but that blew away his best of 27%. That is a big, big move. And that still faces the Braves, the AL East. Like, not the easiest of lineups. So he was... Very, very good this year. Uh, a K to walk at 25.3% is uh, outstanding. You look at a, a, an average against a 205. So he was getting the job done. And there, there's a lot to like there with Aaron Nola. Ground ball rate was pretty much the same as like, identical to last year. He actually got more home runs this year, which you kind of would expect with the teams he had to face. But 3280 RA, 279X fifth. Like the dude was lights out good. So I'm with you. I think I got Nola. The first out of there, I would have no problem taking Luis Castillo. I think in the two early mocks, I actually took Luis Castillo. I had the number, I think it was two picks, so pick 15 in um, in round two. So I'm pretty sure I that uh, Castillo was my pick. Yeah, pick 29. I took Castillo there. That's fine because Nola in our draft when it picked 22. So he was the last man standing, basically. And I got no problem with that. But I go Nola, Castillo, Scherzer as well. All right. Yeah. yeah. Great minds think alike, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, the next grouping here, we got some young guys and one veteran, just absolute workhorse here. 13th starting pitcher off the board, Brandon Woodruff at Brown pick 44 and a half. Tyler Glass now, 46. Lance Lynn, 47. This is a fun one because I have a feeling I know where you and I are going to go here, but I don't think it's going to be the consensus. I'll tell you that much. So how do you break down these three? Oh, man, this one's really tough. I think um... – I mean, I mean, I might be, I might be crazy, but um, I would, I would probably have Glass now last. Is that crazy? That's why I'd have last. I love Glass now stuff. I know that's a lazy way of saying it, but I, I'm not a pitching expert. I, I can't go Nick Pollock and Paul Sporer down the the tunnel here for you. 
but like his his mechanics are kind of wonky at times. Like they showed it a lot in the the playoffs, and and Eno and them have talked about it. He's so big and so tall. Like the, the release points got to be so per. It's harder to teach basically and rep mm-hmm. and re- re- replicate. Obviously, he can much more than others, but it's just tough because he's so long and all that. But the biggest thing with him is control. And uh, like you look at him when he's on, you strike everybody out. But we had so many starts this year where he'd go four, barely make it through five innings because he'd be like 100 pitches because he's walked four or five guys and he struck out like nine, but his pitch count's through the roof, so he's done. If he can ever harness in the the control, this guy's an elite pitcher. Like he's a top two-round pitcher. I just don't know if he's ever going to figure it out. In this postseason, he looked worse and worse. So I don't know if it's just the postseason blues, but I have him third as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. Um yeah, and he's just got the two pitches, and I didn't watch. Oh, this sounds terrible. I didn't actually watch, like, physically watch a, a ton of the playoffs this year. Um, like, I, I follow it on my phone and stuff like that. But you know, my, my the challenge. I, I saw a tweet by um, I can't remember what his name is, but he's like a pretty smart, uh, like former coach. I think he used to be a coach of the Rockies or something like that, and he was just saying how you know, the zone percentage on, on glass now's curveball is so low. It's like in the 20, like 25% or something like that. It's like, once you identify, if you're able to identify that that's what what's coming and there's only certain counts where he throws it consistently, um, that if you know that that's coming, like if you just lay off and wait for the fastball, you know, yes, it's still a really hard pitch to do hit and it's a hard thing to do. Uh, and geez, he struck out what ninety-one guys in like fifty-seven innings or something like that. So yeah, he had, he had like a almost thirty-nine percent strikeout rate. Like the strikeouts are legit. It's <laughs> it's, just... it's it's so good. Um, but I just um, yeah, I, it's just not. And I think another thing that concerns me a little bit is just the is is the volume, which maybe because of the K rate is not as important. But you know, the thing that I love about Lynn is, yeah, I mean, he got blown up towards the end and yeah, he was due that, like he was due some major regression there as well, but um, it, it can hurt you when, when he, you know, he's throwing a hundred or more pitches, right. When he's getting blown out by the Astros and they keep him in for that long, but um, you know, but the volume is something and it's something important and it's not like it's bad volume, right? Like you're getting, you know, a, a pretty, I mean, he walks, he walks a decent amount of guys, but he doesn't give up a ton of hits. Um, he's always been kind of a lower Babbitt. God, I wish I was, I wish I was smarter. Um, Lance Lynn. Um, yeah. I mean, I have, I have to dig in a lot more on these guys, but I think Lynn would probably be my number two. Um, I do really like Woodruff as well. Although again, like it's that NL central thing where you're just like, God, what was the podcast? They did a great job. I think, I don't want to, it was probably rates and barrels or sleeper on the bus being one of my two guests, but I think it might've been, it might've been the, um, it might've been launch angle. I'm not sure, but they, they just talked about like what percentage of, of, of pitchers were going to go in the first round. No, no, I think it was the poll hitter podcast. Okay. It was the poll hitter. It was the poll hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro, but he was interviewing Phil Dussault. Oh, well that makes sense. And and Phil was, Phil was, yeah, Phil was, Phil was talking about, 
how he he had just been looking at like the impact of the NL Central, just how bad it was. And then you look at what the offenses did in the playoffs. And yes, it's a small sample size, but when you combine it all into one sample, it's kind of like, wow, they did really, really poorly from a hitting perspective. And so was it really a pitcher's? And it did have a significant impact ERA-wise on projections, like taking them out of the NL Central. And so that's what's hard with Woodruff. But what I really liked with Woodruff was, um, I mean, he was better. Like, you know, again, is it the NL Central or not? He was better than last year. He doesn't walk many guys. He still gives up decent amount of contact, but he's still successful. And he was able to bump up the, some of the, the strikeout peripherals, um, Woodruff was. Um, and he was also able to just, I think, kind of show that he's, he's able to have that, you know, pretty, you know, he did it last year and he seems to be able to have that higher strikeout rate than maybe we would anticipate he would have. Um, again, is it the NL central or not? But, um, so that I think is how I would probably rank them kind of glass now, obviously being super high ceiling, but probably lowest floor, injury issues, volume issues, Lynn being kind of like no volume issues, maybe some suspectness on the ratios and whether that's going to continue, but getting you the Ks. And then Woodruff kind of being that happy medium between there where maybe you're not getting the same volume as Lynn, but I think probably a better pitcher. Um, So yeah, that's, I think where I'd go right now with them. Yep. We are uh, simpatico on this. When it comes to Lance Lynn, I do have concerns, but I am like the volume goes so, so far. You know he's going to go out there, he's going to pump it, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, the strikeouts dropped a little bit from last year, but still we're, we're good numbers for Lance Lynn. Nothing to kind of shy away from. He struck out twenty, almost 26% of the guys he faced. But his, his walk rate rose a little bit, and the BABIP does concern me. A 242 BABIP after a 322 and a 336. You know, he had 244 in 2017. But tr- that big drop over the last couple of years – makes me kind of wonder what's going on a little bit. Like I'm not going to be super concerned about it, but the home run rate also went up quite a bit. And a lot of that can be determined towards the end of the season when things are a little rocky. 3-3-3-3-2 ERA with a 4-3-4 XFIP. There are there are concerns with Lance Lynn. There's no, no hiding that. He's going to be 34 next May, so he's getting older. But I just don't see a lot slowing down completely with the boy. But Woodruff's the guy that he's like – I do have glass now three, like I said. I'm with you there. Woodruff's just very interesting because he came out like a bat out of hell at the start of the season. He was outstanding. And his, his end numbers are still really good. 305 ERA and 73 innings pitched. Um, you know, whip below one, ERA at 305, X ERA at 297, strikeout rate of over 31%, walk rate of only 6%. These are all phenomenal numbers. It just seemed like he kind of was wearing down towards the end. I don't know if that's the right word or term to use with Woodruff. He just wasn't nearly as dominant as he was to start the season. Start the season, he was Corbin Burns, and to finish the season, Corbin Burns was Brandon Woodruff. That's just kind of how it felt like he just kind of took his spot as the dominant pitcher for the Brewers. So let's we'll see how that goes. Like, you know, I pull up his game logs, now I can be full. The eight shutout innings in his last start in St. Louis, Th- three starts prior, seven shutouts against the Cubs. So there was, there was a stretch there where it, was, it wasn't pretty. I know that much. I was looking at it now, and now I remember what I'm seeing. But he actually finished rather well overall. But – there's just something about him that kind of comes off, and maybe it is the Corbin Burns mystique, because that's what we all remember the Brewers for at the end of the season if Burns just couldn't do anything wrong. And Woodruff was kind of doing his thing. I was talking, I think it was with um, Ryan Bloomfield today, because we are talking about Freddie Peralta, a guy we won't talk about today, but he's an intriguing late-round target I was looking at in these early mocks. 
And if he gets a third pitch to become a decent starter, so we saw the kind of development this year and more control, you can have a Peralta, Burns, Woodruff, one, two, three, punched super young. It might be the best 300 monster the Brewers have had in a while. So I like Woodruff, too, in this scenario. If you wanted to take him over Lynn because of Lynn's age and kind of the decline you saw, I get it. I'm also with you on the Central is so bad. Like I said, he, he shut down the St. Louis Cardinals. If you look at the Cardinals at the end of the season, they didn't hit anybody. Like their last 30 days, I remember DFS specifically, you targeted facing the Cardinals every chance you could. Their offense was putrid. It's amazing they made the playoffs. Like it was really, really bad. And he got hit around at Cincinnati. He even got hit around against St. Louis to start before that. Then he shut down the Cubs, whose offense really wasn't that great either. Like, we're, it, But like Cleveland nailed them. Pittsburgh nailed them. Like these teams that shouldn't have uh, – Cleveland, yes, the rest of them shouldn't have. I get it. I have him too. If you want to take him over Lynn, I'm fine with that. But Lynn Woodruff, glass now for me. One, one interesting thing about Lynn um, is that this year he gave up 12 barrels – and 13 home runs. Hmm. And they said that ball was more pitcher friendly too. And last year it would he had 30 he gave up 32 barrels and 21 home runs. And we know from like Max Fried's work that you know I can't remember what it is like 58.1% or something like that of barrels end up being home runs on average. Yeah. And so there may be some regression there as well for Lynn, so maybe where he was lucky from a um from a Babbitt perspective, you know, pretty pretty darn lucky from a Babbitt perspective and, and strand rate perspective, potentially, you know, there's that. I think one thing that did concern me a little bit about Lynn was, you know, the, the swinging strike rate was down, um, but his CSW was only 28.1%, which is actually below league average. And he has the same percent of pitches that he throws that are balls. It's about the same. It's exactly the same as Luis Castillo's as well. So, you know, again, like there are some maybe reasons why he could positively regress, and there's other reasons why why you might expect the worst. But I do agree with you that that volume for Lynn is something that's that's super nice. Um, you know, and especially around pick 47, let's say you're drafting towards the back half of the round of the. I mean, that could actually be something kind of beautiful. Would be like if you're drafting towards the back half, and you do like, I mean, you know, Darvish you know, Darvish Nola and you come around and you grab like a hitter and then you grab Lynn as your third, Yep. you know, if you want to like just dominate pitching because dominating pitching is the way to, to go. Well, um, and, and, looking at these, and, and looking at these ADPs, like participating in these drafts, pitching gets really bad after like pick 150, maybe 200 at the most, but like it gets nasty. The longer it goes, like it's gonna, it feels like maybe it's just kind of recency bias, but you really want to attack pitching right now because it feels ugly later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the pieces that I'm, I'm kind of into right now is, is three pitchers in your first four picks. Yep. Uh, we continue to, uh, so we'll see. See how that plays out as you got NFBC drafts opening up already. So we'll get your, uh, your, I know. I'm going to stay away from it for a little while. Yeah, I believe. I, don't, that. I actually don't. I'm I believe not, that when I see. I, it. I do not. I do not like the. I don't like drafting early with the risk. I don't like. I like knowing. I like knowing what the environment looks like. Um, yeah, I got. I got to wait a little while. Like I usually try to wait till at least January. Like give me. Like I get December. You want to kind of get the itch going, but I need a little bit of information, like something. So. 
I when, definitely can't do it in November. November is definitely not happening. What's crazy is that when the season ended, we were six months away from the fantasy baseball season starting or the baseball season starting. Which is we insane. are now five months away from the fantasy baseball season starting. So just like that, like that, it's one month good. just passed. And I mean, I mean, draft season starts what? March? I mean, so we're essentially four months away from draft season. It'll be here before. I, mean, you know. I think we're going to have to start our previews like tomorrow, pretty soon. Sunday. It's coming. It's coming real soon. Um, the what worthless week. previews those will be. Oh, God, we're, we were talking about this back in October. Yes. You remember in October? You, when you look like a great catcher back in October. <laughs> like He's I the thought, second best catcher in the league, and he got, he got uh, a non tender. I saw Wilson Ramos didn't get picked up, his option picked uh, up. I'm like, are you kidding me, Wilson Ramos? Like, good God. This is ridiculous. But uh, yeah, uh, the next set of ADPs we have here are just below Woodruff, Glasnow, and Lynn at pick 49. You have Zach Gallon at f- 48.9 Gallon, 49.2 Kent Maeda. So basically going at the same pick. And 49.6 Blake Snell. So Gallon, Maeda, Snell all going about the same time. And the reason I put these three together is you have the young Zach Gallon, who was amazing this season. A couple speed bumps to end the season, started with the Giants, of course. You have Kenta Maeda, finally out of L.A., gets to pitch no innings limits in Minnesota, was phenomenal, but is it sustainable? And then you have Blake Snell, who was outstanding, but really never got to extend himself this year. And we saw it again in game six. It's like if you got seven plus innings out of Blake Snell consistently, he wouldn't be picked 49.6, but we never saw that. So how do you go with Gallon, Maeda, and Snell? Yeah, and I think I think we're starting to enter the territory of this. A lot depends on what your other pitchers look like. I mean, it always depends on what the other pitchers look like, right? Because there's a couple guys in here. Oh, and before I forget, because we talked about catchers for a second, I just want to tell you when I saw the list of free agents, it said Jacob Ray Muto, and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? I don't even know who this guy is. This Jacob Ray Muto. Who on earth is this? Transitioning back to the starting pitchers. Um, <laughs> So I, I think, yeah, I think it really depends on what you have because I think Maeda, I mean, he had a phenomenal season. He was great. He was wonderful. Everybody loves Kenta Maeda as they should. Another guy that I didn't have. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to love, but then I also think like volume is a, is, is a major issue, I think, with him more so than with other guys. I mean, he does not go deep into games. I mean, he had 66 innings. So again, like, you know, if you want to multiply that by three, that's pretty decent. But I think you're looking at like 150 to 180 innings probably from him. And then like the BABIP was 208 this year. Strand rate was 80.2%. So you're going to have some regression happening on that perspective. I mean, he does do a pretty good job of limiting the quality of contact and those walks were absolutely superb. So I think if you have gotten volume earlier on, then I think, you know, he might be a guy that that adding him on is, you know, your SP3 or something like that. I'd feel a lot better if he was that for me as opposed to like my SP2 or something like that. Um, whereas I think with Gallon, you know, Gallon has been really good throughout his career. He was really good this year. You know, maybe, um, you know, the K- the K-walk minus rate isn't as shiny necessarily. Um, as some other guys, but it's still around 20%. And I think he is, he's like a front of the rotation stud. The team is not going to be very good, which is a little bit concerning, but again, he has that repertoire, that diverse repertoire, which I think is so critical to, to getting those innings and to being, you know, kind of the, 
um, to being able to get to that next gear too, right? Because I think when we look at the top, you know, you look at the Cole, you know, who has that fastball, he has the curveball and the slider and the changeup as well. And they're all pretty good pitches, right? You know, DeGrom has the same thing. Scherzer for all those years has had those things, same thing. And then for Bieber, what has really helped elevate him outside of like the one mile per hour uptick is the development of that cutter to go along with already good, you know, curveball changeup. So, or curveball slider. Um, so I just think that, that that gives him that upside. I think that maybe the other guys don't necessarily have in terms of um, really, really uh, taking that that step into the, that top tier. Um, and then for me, Blake Snell, you know, again, like I, I think uh, he's just, a, he's just the lack of consistency is really, really challenging for me to get behind. Um, just both in terms of the volume, just not necessarily being there, right? Because he's not as good the third time through the order. And I thought that, I thought what Connor uh, Kirkon uh, put together was really, really great because I think that's the thing is, right? Guys are doing great until they're not. Yep. And and so it's it's tough, but I think that was kind of like a data-driven look at what actually happens in these types of efforts, even from some of the best pitchers in the game. Um, so there's that issue, and then there's just the injuries and the inconsistencies. And he's so good when he pitches, but again, a lot depends. Like if I have two studs already that bring me volume, maybe I maybe I feel okay about a Snell there, but I'm probably passing just because um, you know we have one really good year from him, and um, you know, and, and just a, a little bit of you know kind of inconsistency from that point forward. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I am with. With Snell, so I would probably go Gallon first if I was just drafting in a vacuum. Probably go Gallon and then Snell and then Maeda would probably be the way that I go. Um, but you know, I think the Snell Maeda thing they're pretty pretty comparable to me. Yeah, no, we're pretty close on that. Uh, the Snell thing, I, I, I'm so happy that Connor and Eno and Alex Fast and so many intelligent people wrote things today. Like I was just the you know caveman that just said it right when it happened and so i was just getting lambasted by everybody telling me i was a fool when i just kept showing them like this is what the rays do because third time through the order and like i just kept listing things off and i was the biggest idiot on the planet but then these guys actually showed very good evidence on all this so i was kind of happy to see that because sure he was doing great but this is what got the rays to game six they're not going to change it in game six i guess just what they do I'd rather argue, why did you bring in Nick Anderson, who has pitched on every game and has given up runs in every game instead of someone else? Seven, seven straight. Yeah. Seven That's straight the argument I would have had, not taking Snell out so much as, why did you bring Nick Anderson in? That would mm-hmm. be more my question. I, I, but, a, it, I mean, that's a great question, too, because, yeah, I mean, he never was really – He hadn't been himself. Guy the whole since he came back from that from – he had the shoulder issue – or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's always 2020, yeah. but I love what cash said afterwards. You know, he said, yeah, of course I'm disappointed in the decision because of the results, but I felt like from a process perspective, that's what you have to do. And and that's, that's, that's what you do. And if, you know, and, and I get that it's a big moment and, and, you know, but that's why the process exists. That's why you do these things is so that in those moments where big, big and difficult decisions need to be made, you, you try to use as much data as possible to inform those decisions, and, and so yeah, yeah. And you're, you're not, a, you're, not you're not a caveman. Yeah, but it was it was funny. I was like the biggest idiot parent, according to many people at, at that point in time. So it was fun. It was really fun. But um, you just got to post caveman lawyer gifts. You know? <laughs> that's what I should do. Right or wrong, 
I'm just yeah. A king. What do I know? I'm just this guy. I don't know. I'm just but, a king. Uh, I don't understand your fans. Your fans. Bunch of cell phones. Bunch of caveman Geico commercials. So I should have tweeted out. Oh um, man, do you know? Do you know the caveman lawyer skit from SNL? Phil Hartman. I think so. Yeah, they were awesome. Okay. 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 Cool. Uh, yeah, that was the that was the those were the glory days for me of SNL. Although, but, like, I look back and I was like five when they were happening so i'm like why on earth do i know these so well like if i shouldn't have been watching these well, but, when, we, when we grew up they were on replay all the time that's when we got totally. some good stuff yeah a lot of people listening now probably have no idea who phil hartman is which is a crying oh shame. man you guys crying need shame. to <laughs> you guys you guys need to, to to look up some snl skits uh from from phil hartman he was brilliant he was one of the best one of the best um so yeah i have blake snow three as well like he was a guy i didn't want to draft all last season i just it, like you said, the inconsistencies. We saw him do it for one season, and he was great. Like, there's no hiding that. But there's a reason, like we just said, that he gets taken out when he gets taken out because he gets blown up if they let him keep going. So it's just it's just tough to do there. Um, I'll put my in a second. He did on paper maybe get a little lucky. I I refer to it as he was quite efficient this year, and maybe that was because he's in the central. The other thing is is he's going to have the Minnesota lineup behind him, which might lose a couple pieces, but it'll still be pretty darn good. So. I, I don't mind him up there. He's still going to face the central for over half the season. So I'll, I'll give that the benefit of the doubt to him there. And I have Zach Gallon number one. Uh, I think he's elite. He's an ace. He's a guy that if he was on a different team might be going higher in drafts. But uh, you look at the run support last year, it was dreadful. He finished three and two in his 12 starts, but he's getting no run support. Uh, I know we played the bar fleet together, quality start league. I'm going to take out his first start because that was a, a non-stretched out start. So we went four innings and get one run. But um, his next 11 starts, he had nine quality starts out of the 11 starts. He was mm. that good. He was very, very good. He had two starts the entire season where he gave up four or more runs. Like, the dude was very, very good, um, and he's going to keep getting better and better. He's 25. He's going to be 26 next year. So I'll go Gallon 1. I'll go Maeda 2, and I'll go Snell 3. But, um, yeah, I just I don't want anything to do with Snell. That's just my pet peeve there for the most part. I would say if I got if I got two like pretty solid guys that I felt really good good about in the first couple rounds, let's say you're able to do something like a a Cole or Degrom and a Nola or something like that to start off with, I feel like Cole could be a really nice complement to that just because of of the ceiling and I don't know if that makes sense. It probably doesn't. I have to think about it more. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, the next one we have here, it's a two-man debate. Pick 53.9, Max Freed, 56.2, Sonny Gray. You got Freed, who was dominant this year. He was getting drafted around the Zach Gallon stage last year, and everybody was debating how great he would be. He was very, very good, but there's still a group of people that think he's not that good. And then you have Sonny Gray, who was very, very good until the end of the season. So two guys that uh, pitched overall very well this year, Max Freed, Sonny Gray. Where do you sit there? Yeah, I mean, I I am on the uh, I'm on the sunny gray train. I think um, on this one, I think this one's pretty cut and dry for me. Um, you know, Gray struggled a lot with walks this year. I mean, control was a major issue for him, um, but he was also absolutely filthy um, from a strikeout perspective. And he was also fairly unlucky. Uh, he had a strand rate of 68.3%. He had those two or three starts in a row where he just got absolutely destroyed. Um, 
But from a CSW perspective, let me see where he was at. I know he was just, uh, God, John Gray keeps on coming up. He was 26th in the league, 33% CSW. He was really getting the most out of those pitches. And I think that ceiling is pretty, pretty nice there. So I'm going with that. I actually think Freed for me is maybe a little bit of a, um, you know, I think he was pretty lucky this year. Um, if you look at Freed, let's see what we got here. A sub 5% home run rate. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a quality of, I think the thing about Freed is he's a quality of contact guy. Mm -hmm. That that's what I think he's becoming more for me is like, he's a guy who's going to have pretty solid ratios. I think because he does. Yeah. He, well, yeah. I mean, I think a little bit more K upside, but yeah, he's got that hammer. He's got the hammer curve, which really limits contact. And guys just don't seem to hit the ball well on him for his whole career. And I think that shows up in a lot of the stat cast metrics as well. So I think the ratios can be decent. decent. I just have a little bit of a question about the strikeout rate. Um, you know, because, I mean, you know, 24.6%, 22.3%. You know, it's just very... Um, it's very kind of Kyle Hendricks esque, maybe. Maybe that's one. You know, he just doesn't have that dominant pitch quite yet. And it could be something where he gains that extra little bit of velocity. He's in a really good environment with the Braves. So obviously the wind should be there. Um, but I guess I'm just going to take upside with Gray there. I just think Freed is maybe going to get pushed up a little bit of high, a little bit higher than he should be because he was lucky this year. Um, you know, because I think, what do you have, 50 strikeouts and 56 innings pitched? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 268 Babbitt, 82% left on bait strand rate. He actually had a decent decent number of walks, too, which has always been a little bit of a thing for him. So, yeah, there's a little bit too many warning signs for me around Freed of, of, of some regression from this past season where I would lean, um, I think, I, w- I will not be taking Freed probably where he's going to go at all. Yeah, I'm a big Freed fan. His price tag is getting a little difficult, but you nailed it with the quality of contact. That's his that's his bag, basically. He wants to keep the ball down in the zone. The ground ball rate's very, very high. Um, barrel rate, only five barrels this year. He had 21 last year and three mm-hmm. in the previous years. Uh, barrel percentage of 3.3%. Uh, you look at the launch angle. That's what I'm thinking stood out to me. 6.4 degree launch angle this year, 4.3 last year. That'll keep the ball in the ballpark. That's, that's pretty simple. That's why he doesn't give up the long ball very much. You know, even a two two five ERA with two nine seven xERA, so twenty three point eight percent hard hit rate. I think a lot of it is just kind of digging in on him briefly here. If you look at where he is, his scatter plots from this year and last year, both years he kept the fastball up in the zone. That was his thing. But the curveball and slider is secondary pitches. He has a sinker and a change, but barely uses them. His curveball and a slider he keeps low and away, low and away. We look at two thousand nineteen. His curveball was up in the zone a lot. And that's where I think we got in trouble. If he keeps them both down like the slider, they look similar. It's going to help him kind of deceive guys. It's also going to get them hitting the ball into the ground. It's a thing is if he's locating, he's going to be fine. Uh, if he's not, it's going to get ugly because he's going to give up the long ball like he did two years ago. That was his big bugaboo. People said he has too many home runs. Didn't give him up this last year. As like I said, 53.6% ground ball rate. But he had a 17.9% fly ball rate, which is still higher than last year by like a 1.3%. Line drive rate dropped. A lot more pop-ups, a lot more pop-ups, like a 5.2% increase in pop-ups. 
So wherever that 5.2 evens out next year, we'll tell you exactly how his season does. Because the other stuff will pretty much stay in line. I don't think he's going to get like an 8% pop-up rate again. So yeah. you got to see where that lands. If it lands on the ground ball side of things, you're groovy. If it lands on the fly ball side of things, maybe not so much. So that, that that's where it's at. So I'm with you. I'll have Gray over Freed. I still like Freed a lot, but I do agree his price tag is a little high. Like I'd rather have him as an SP4 where he's more likely an SP3 where you're drafting him right now. And that makes things a little more difficult. But then again, the guy going right before him to Nelson Lamette, I'll take Max Freed. Um, real quick, quick answer. Max Freed or Blake Snow? Uh, Blake Snow. Okay, because they're four picks apart, so I was wondering. All right. Yeah, I would take, I would take Snell over both of those guys, new guys that we just talked about, though, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, one. I said I'm a, a semi-great guy, but I just mean, like, in this particular instance, I, I this is kind of a little bit of the range that I want to avoid in drafts. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't well, want to – If you get your guys early, you'll get, guys. you'll get to avoid these guys. Exactly. So. That's my – what I'm hoping for. And then I'm just going to draft Joe Musgrove and just have four starting pitchers. As we know. As Dominic. we know. Um, the next threesome we have here, Carlos Carrasco going around pick 80, Sixto Sanchez or 79.9, Sixto Sanchez pick 80. So basically the same pick there. So you have a, a veteran in Carrasco, the youngster in Sixto. I skipped over Zach Plesak because I think his ADP is going to keep climbing the way everyone's talking about him. So he won't even be in this discussion. I blame Dave while. McDonald. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. run MDC. Yep. Yeah, he's going to push that ADP you. through the roof. So I wasn't even going to bring him up here because it's not going to matter. So the guy I threw in here as well at 80.7, all of them going within a pick of each other, is Kyle Hendricks, the guy you just mentioned. Slow, steady, Mr. Consistent, the professor, whatever you want to say, gets it done. You have Sixto, who's fun, really talented. You have Carlos Carrasco, who we always have high hopes for, never seems to get there all, all the way. So where do you go with these three? Well, I mean, I'm super disappointed that Kyle Hendricks is being drafted where he's drafted because every year he does the exact same thing and he gets drafted around pick 150. So I'm horribly disappointed in that and I will not be paying this price for Kyle Hendricks. Um, probably. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Um, one thing that was really interesting about Kyle Hendricks, which, you know, doesn't really matter all that much, but um, his home, home road splits. I think there's actually Cubby Knoll. Um, who pointed this out, I saw on Twitter. Yeah. But I want to say his home road splits are god-awful recently. Um, They're very, very bad. Like, he gets crushed on the road. Well, yeah. I mean, he was a 373 ERA. Look, look like last year. year. Look at yeah, last like year. 502 <laughs> ERA away yeah, in 2019 and 2018, which is a little bit – so maybe it's just mostly 2019. I don't know. So that's a little bit of, a, of an interesting – Thing for him, but I just don't think the K's are high enough. Like, I mean, the ratios are great, they're beautiful, they're lovely. Um, but I just don't think it's enough to for this draft price. Um, I don't feel great about it. I mean, you know, I think this is around where Maeda should be going, um, but he's going too high. Um, so I probably won't be on Hendricks. Um, I'm all I would be all over Carlos Grasco, I think, at at this. What is the ADP? Actual, around pick eighty, actual, around pick eighty. I pick, I picked him in the two early mocks. I mean, as your third starting pitcher, you know, I mean, he'll be an SP two for a lot of people, but as an SP three, I mean, he's he's gorgeous. I mean, he's pretty much the same guy he's always been last year. Um, he was really good, um, and he actually got. I looked this up. Um, well, you know, as I do my research, it just kind of happens. But uh, he was really good, really, really good again against the Central. 
Um, but in his last little little bit, his last five starts, I want to say, he was absolutely crushing it. Um, I think he struggled a little bit at the beginning to get it going. I'm just bringing up my rolling average graphs here. Um, my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, so um, yeah, his K rate was uh, oh, maybe 29.1%. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Anyways, it was the walk rate. The walk rate was elevated this year, and he got it down the second half of the year. The O swing also went way up, 37%. So he started to get people to chase out on pitches outside the zone which I think has always been a really critical part of him. So again, I think he's going to be the same guy that he's always been based on what I saw this year, which is he's going to get lit up in a couple starts a year. He's over the course of the full season. He's going to be a really good guy. Um, and, and again, remember before, before he had um, uh, leukemia, uh, leukemia, I think, right. Yes. Um, before he missed that season, I mean, he was being drafted around the, um, around the, the two, three turn, you know, in 15 team drafts, he was going around like kind of late, like 30 pick 32, 33. Um, and if he's that same guy, I mean, I think this is a really big value to be getting him right here. So depending on how his ADP adjusts, I mean, maybe I'll just wait and, and grab him a little bit earlier than he normally goes um, as a third starting pitcher. Maybe I do need to get into some of these drafts. No, stop it. Stop it. I'm just kidding. Um, so that, no, you're not. That, that, that's, um, <laughs> That's, I would go Carrasco. Um, I would go Carrasco Hendricks. I have no idea why Sixo Sanchez is going here. The hype train is for real. I don't understand it, people. I really don't. I know his pitches look really good. I know he's young. I know he throws it really hard, but so does Dustin May. You know what I'm saying? And like, yes, there are, there are, there's great. I mean, the, the, the swinging striker at 12.8% is great. But he's still not – he has not shown the ability to strike guys out yet at this level. Um, and, again, I don't know his minor league stuff. But, you know, like here's his minor league strikeout rates, guys. Ready? Well, you know, he's he, – let's just say this. He's never had a strikeout rate in the minor leagues higher than 25%. He doesn't walk, guys, which is great. But I think you're looking at another like, kind of contact management guy and I don't know if he's a contact management guy. Like, I just don't. And so I think, like, like maybe you're getting Kyle Hendricks. Yep. And so, like, I don't understand this. Everybody's, like, everybody's, like, so into Sixto Sanchez, and I have no idea why. This is a uh, guy I have. Trained. I know, I know. And I, and I don't mean to be mean. Like, of course, there's reasons to like him and be really high on him. But I have no reason. I have no reason to see any reason why he's in the top 150 players being drafted, let alone the top 100. I don't understand it at all. He's the one guy where I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, well, we found one of Toby's bold predictions for 2020. CSW was 27.2 percent last year, right? So again, he can get swings and misses. But I don't think he can beat people in the zone. He doesn't fool guys, people, guys on pitches in the zone. So I think he's going to have a low walk rate. He's going to have a low K rate. I think best case scenario, he's Kyle Hendricks. And I will have a bold prediction on him. Yeah. I'll be right. Bye-bye. No, I don't really believe in being this like, certain about anything anymore like there's just so much uncertainty and so many things we don't control but 
Sixto Sanchez going here, all the hype around Sixto Sanchez about being the next, you know, great pitcher and all that jazz, it makes zero sense to me. Sixto Sanchez will be Toby's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's just what it sounds like right about now. So I think a lot of the hype is when you turn on MLB Network, everyone's comparing him to Pedro Martinez, including Pedro Martinez. And that's where everyone gets all giddy. Like Pedro's Pedro's on there doing it. Like they show the the release point and how he pitches, his changeup. He he throws his changeup like 27% of the time. It's his main pitch. Pedro's main pitch was the changeup. That's where a lot of this is coming from. They're they're literally using him as this young kid that's going to kind of rejuvenate things in uh, South Beach. So the kid's good. But, yeah, he's not a big strikeout guy. I enjoy watching him. I enjoy him for fantasy, uh, like daily fantasy, because he's always affordable. The fact he has the strike guys out kills me. He has a couple games where he's looked pretty good. I guess the thing with him is it is like Kyle Hendricks where he rarely kills you because he's not going to get blown up. But, yeah, it's, it's not it's not great. Like he gave up six barrels in, in about half the season where Max Free gave up five. So that tells you anything about Max Freed's ability to limit contact compared to Sixto's. That should tell you something. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I like Sixto a lot, but I'm not going to pay this price for him. I paid for it in the two early mocks to kind of play with it and see where it went. He went anywhere from pick 62 to 101. Let's put it that way. So there's a lot of ranges depending on where you're drafting. Um, yeah, looking back on it, I would not have picked him at pick 62. It was just one of those I didn't think he'd come back to me. Probably wouldn't have, but I probably would have been better off not worrying about it. The guy I want here is Carlos Carrasco as well. I like Kyle Hendricks. I'd have Kyle Hendricks too, 603. Basically the same guy, but we've seen Kyle do it more than once. Um, Carrasco is pretty awesome. The biggest thing with Carrasco this last year, strikeout rate dropped a little bit, but the walk rate went from like four and a half to like nine and a half. That was a big, big thing for him. A lot of that was early in the season. Still had some late in the season. You mentioned the second half of the season. His last six starts, he had 12 starts on the year. From August 29th on, he had a um, – 166 ERA, 264 FIP, 343 XFIP, um, 10.16 K per nine, which was outstanding. He had seven runs and 38 innings pitch, struck out 43 over that stretch. And he had a quality start in all six starts. Um, he was very, very good, as you mentioned. So he's a guy that I've always been a fan of. Would you rather go Carlos Carrasco or Zach Gallon? We have to go in. I think there's a lot of similarities there. It's it's um it's too good of a question. I'm not going to answer. <laughs> Carlos no. Carrasco. Or uh, <laughs> it would depend on who I had previously, but I would probably go with Carrasco. I think. Yeah. So uh, I think the um yeah I'd probably go with I'd probably go with Carrasco. Okay. But that'll it's close. A, Very that'll close. Be, that'll be a fun one to watch. Now I'm going to make the executive decision here, and we're going to do the rest of these debates next week because we have a lot of listener questions. Oh so, man! I want to get. And I want to get guys, for those of you who tuned in to find out who we like more, Jose Barrios or Dylan Bundy. Sunday, Sunday. Be there. Yes. So there you go. There you go. Cliffhanger for you. Um, Sixto Sanchez needs another. He needs another um, secondary pitch. His yes. sliders. His sliders got awful. Well, I mean, yeah. not got awful, but twelve point six percent swinging strike rate on his slider. What it what does it have? It has an 85.1% in zone contact rate. Also needs to fade the sinker. Yeah. Uh, he I needs mean, to I fade think, the sinker big time. Uh, he needs to go change up fastball very well and develop the slider. I'm 100% with you there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those. It's tough. I would have to look into it a little bit more, but you know, the sinker does generate a 70.6% ground ball rate. So that's obviously huge. 
but it also it doesn't get this it doesn't get the swings and misses as the 94.4 in zone contact rate so if you threw the four seams the k's would probably go up so would the home runs probably you know but he doesn't walk a lot of guys so that actually to me seems like a change you could make that would be really good from a fantasy baseball perspective but you know he, they did hit his they did hit his four seam pretty good but uh yeah i mean i think he should do that i think he should do that if he did that he, i think he could be really good okay well, there you go sixto when you're listening at home right now toby says if you develop that pitch yeah. a little better that you could be very very good Sixto, so. this is what you got to do ditch the sinker four seam high change up low yeah develop uh and then the slider you're gonna have to work on it it's Better than Paddock's, but it's not there yet. It's not there yet. All uh, right. Smada has a question. I think we should we should probably answer. Yeah, that. I'm trying there to re I'm trying to reload his two early mocks page, and it's not working for me right oh, now. Uh, okay. he's, in, he's a he's in a, he's a relief. Pitch. I know. That's so why I was trying to work, and it froze on the starting pitcher. So I'm trying to get there. When I get it reloaded, we will ask Smada's question. But uh, we'll go up here to Jordan, who had one earlier in the podcast mm. with the with the questions in the league setup next year should dynasty leagues delay startup of drafts um uh i mean i think it's 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 up to the i think you can go either way right i mean it's just a matter of i think uh, appetite appetite for variance you know because it's like situation yeah it's like the, the reason why people like drafting i think early on is number one just to get familiar with the player pool and to do all that stuff similar to why you'd want to maybe like you know, draft early on with a dynasty, but with a dynasty, it's more like, you know, you feel like your knowledge may be better than the, than what the market has, but it's also like a lot of people are really into it who are drafting early. And then, you know, it's higher variance. So in like an overall competition, like the NFBC, you want that higher variance because you want to do well in like an overall, right. You want to be able to get those value picks, but at the same sense, you're going to, you can't avoid the injuries. You can't avoid those guys whose value changes because of roster shifts or, things like that. So it just is a matter of, I think your appetite for variance and risk and, um, you know, so I think you can go either way. It just kind of changes the dynamics of the league. And then when, okay, the, the other question Jordan had is, are your rankings based off a of five by five or Roto or points? I do five by five Roto. That's how I base mine. That's how I play most of my leagues. Toby, how do you go about yours? Yeah, absolutely the same. I, every single one of my leagues, last year except for one league that was two leagues that were obp and one that was um points are are five by five roto so that's what i'm thinking that's the way i think about life sounds good um all right smartest question why should corbin burns be in the top 30 like or where do you have corbin burns he his exact phrasing is okay but really where do you want corbin burns and why is it in the top 30. um of starting pitchers. Yeah, um, he's going to be starting pitcher eligible eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that I would definitely have him ahead of – so I'm just going from the 30th SP. Definitely have him ahead of Lazardo. Definitely have him ahead of Wheeler. Wait, Smada, um, do you mean 30th overall or top 30 SP? I think he's talking about in the top two rounds. Um, yeah, Smada, tell us. What, what, what I, are we working I, with here? I, th I think that's where he's going because I've heard a lot of guys talk about moving him up. Like, yeah, overall, 30th overall. Oh, 30th overall. Yeah. Um, I can't do that. 
Would you take him ahead of Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller? No, I think the challenge with him is going to be volume, right? I think the most innings he's ever thrown is one. I mean, I, 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 Corbin Burns was incredibly good. He was so good last year. Um, and I, I think you could definitely merit it. I don't, uh, I don't, but whatever, you know, behoove or something, anybody who does push him up that high. I mean, the ceiling is incredibly high. Um, I just think that my question is like the volume, right? Like what's the, what's the, let me see the minor leagues. Like last year, how many, like last year he threw, um, 71 innings the year before that he threw 26 yeah 116 116 so i think the max innings you're probably going to get from him is 120 it's a joke i missed the joke again smart is making me look bad the luis castillo second base versus second round it's a joke all right i would is not joking he's just trying to draft with you and get get the inside track he's um I would have him though, like I, I think, like him and Snell are pretty comparable for me. That's fair. Yeah, my my biggest thing with with Burns is his talent level is pretty self explanatory. The guy's outstanding, but my my thing with I'd take SD over Burns. By the way, that's your question. Yeah, yeah, um, I'd take that. yeah. yeah I'll take SD there. But I'm sorry, no, it's fine. But uh, with Burns, like you said, the biggest thing is the pitch count. Like if. If you tell me he goes 150, I'd be in, but I don't see him going more than 130. I'll give him I'll give him up to 130 over the 120, but it's tough to see him going much farther past that. So they're really going to baby him, which is going to make things tricky. And that's going to – where he's going to be going in drafts because people are going to take him in the top four or five rounds. I wouldn't be shocked. Like I really think that will happen, and that's going to probably be too rich for my blood. So I, I won't go there. I'd love to have shares of Corbin Burns. I guess I'll have to do it in DFS. That's just where that one's going to land. But uh, that'll be a fun one to check out and watch that as it continues to go, especially with these early NFBC uh, draft champions that are going to start up. He'll, he'll, he'll go high there. That yeah. side will be too tempting for people to yeah, take over. Looking, be looking forward to that. But uh, some of the questions we had. Ooh, Smata says he thinks we see 175. Okay, if you tell me 175, now the Castillo conversation is a little more interesting. I'll be totally honest. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the one thing is like how many innings did he pitch on the side this year or whatever, yep. you know? And that's a real uh, question. Like we've talked about that before. And then I said it on a previous show that Eno Saris did an interview with Jake Rizzi on rates and barrels, which helped me uh, kind of feel better about my thoughts on he's Jake talked about how guys ramped up before the season on their own how guys pitched on the side on their own, how guys are even pitching in October that aren't in the playoffs to keep stretching themselves out. Then they'll take a, a month or a month and a half off and start up again in the preseason to get ready. He says the hardest part this last year was not having an exact start date. He's off. We have an exact start date. We'll be ready to go a full workload. And my thing with, with the pitchers is for veterans, I'm not as worried. Even Walker Bueller, who's done it a, a time or two, I'm more confident in him getting back to like 175 plus. Burns, is interesting, but Odorizzi flat out said, "Us older guys that have pitched long enough, a year off won't kill us. Like we can easily get back up to our 170 to 180, whatever we got to do. It's the young guys that have never done it, and that'll be a big thing to watch for. Because, like you just said, a lot of these guys are doing stuff on the side, a lot, and mm-hmm. they just didn't talk about it. So here's so here's the reason why I said 120 is I think that we have, um, 
I think we have kind of a guy, not the same as Burns, obviously not, you know, but Brandon Woodruff, right? So Woodruff's kind of path to the big leagues or his innings pitched were, he did um, 118 in 2017. And then he did fewer than that. He did 113 in 2018. And then he did 121.2 big league innings in 19. And so the way that I kind of think of it is if that's, if that's the way that the Brewers handled um, Woodruff, and again, they're not the same pitcher and I don't, I don't know enough about the background of each pitcher, injury history, all that stuff uh, to really know. But if that's the way they handle Woodruff, I feel like that is fairly comparable. Although Woodruff was injured. Um, he was injured in, in 2019. So maybe I'm totally wrong. I, I don't know. Anything. I'm still sticking to the 130 ish, but if somehow we see stuff in the spring and everything ever says they're going for like 170, 175, that's going to be a fun discussion. I'll oh, yeah. say that right. That'll, that'll I, change things I, quite a bit. I bump them the hell up, smarter yeah. than I do. Way up. All right. Andrew Armour at Andrew Armour 1 asks Do you predict a bounce back from Patrick Corbin? He was bad this year, but he pitched a ton of innings during the World Series run. And spring training this year was wonky. He likes him as a value in 2021. Thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't really like Corbin. I didn't really like Corbin this year either. Um, I think, I, you know, I'm just, I'm making it up at this point cause I don't have it right in front of me, but I want to say his second half of 2019 was kind of a little bit of the, of when the concern really started for me. So if you look at his second half in 2019, um, Oh, maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. I, I feel like um, maybe it was the walk rate because his walk rate increased dramatically. Um, you know, maybe that's what it was. I, I don't know. But, you know, again, like the reason why, like I've, I've never really owned Corbin. I've never really been high on Corbin. I, I And it's the reason why I probably never own Luis Castillo either is because guys really freak me out who are so reliant on one pitch, you know, like just so reliant on that pitch being effective to do everything. They got those, you know, it generates the, you know, they can't get pitch pitches, they can't get strikes on pitches inside the zone, essentially. Like I just, I'm queasy about going after that guy, but it's hurt me in the past, right? Because I haven't had Corbin in previous seasons. So I'm going to say no, just because I, I just, because that pitch wasn't as good last this year. Um, and whatever reason it was, I know his velo was down, but he's been successful when his velo has been down in the past. So I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it concerns me. So I'll, I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at that. I mean, a, a close to 4% drop in swinging strike rate. Yes. Yeah, um, in zone close to 90%. Um, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I just, I don't know. And he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it things escalated quickly this year for Patrick Corbin. So it, it's pretty terrifying. His ground ball rate dropped. His fly ball rate dropped a little bit. His line drive rate, rate went through the roof. Barrel rate was only 6.5%, but solid contact over 10%, by far the worst of his career. That was devastating. If you just want to look the lazy way at StatCast, his whole metric is blue. Like, it's not good. Not good at all. Heavy slider usage, as we know, but then it's sinker forcing. Like, 
when your sinker is your top, your second best pitch or closest to your fastball, like that's just that's not good. As it's never a good recipe for success. Hard hit rate went up to forty four percent this year from thirty eight last year from thirty five prior to that. Strikeout rate dropped from twenty eight and a half to twenty point three. Like these are bad, really really bad things. I will not own Patrick Corbin. They're just not not going to happen at all. So I'll just pass on that. But uh, yes, I'm going to put him in the easy bake oven, Smata. There is no no Patrick Corbin for me. Not happening. All right. Yeah, and one, and one thing I do want to mention about line drive rate is is line drive rate is has the most variance. So if you see a guy who the only reason why he's doing bad, I mean, Bubba, you articulated the reason. I guess I should be going this way, Bubba, just that way. <laughs> Bubba, the reason why um, you uh, – uh, I think you articulated all the reasons why there's major concerns for him. But if you see a guy who the only reason why you feel like he did poorly, both hitter or pitcher, because the line drive rate was either really way higher than it was before or way lower than it was before, that I think for me – that's one of the reasons why I focus on ground ball rate more is because there's a lot of variance in line drive rate even year to year. I mean, there's very few guys that can consistently maintain a very high line drive weight. Like think of Freddie Freeman types, you know? Um, and so that is one thing I think that you should be looking at is along with like some of the basic metrics like Babbitt and stuff like that to identify guys who may, you know, have either been lucky or unlucky um, this season. But that was just a little bit of a cha- tangent there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, fly ball, ground balls, what we like to see. See those line drive numbers change. It's interesting. Like I said, what kind of the pop-ups with Freed? They're going to go somewhere else next year. That's going to depend a lot for you. Um, mm. MS at SMMS79 asks, thoughts on Tyon's abil- ability to impact your team in 21? Favorite um, – well, we'll start with that. What are what are your thoughts on Tyon's Ty ability to impact your team in 21? Yeah, I've never been a huge Tyon fan just because I don't think he has – he doesn't have the – he doesn't have the pieces that he needs to be a really like one of those kind of like elite level starters. Like just as an example, you know, 2018 was clearly his best year, you know, and 179 strikeouts is great, but you know, in 191 innings um, uh, strikeout rate that year was below league average, 22.8%. You know, he didn't walk guys, which he's always done a really good job of limiting walks because he does generate a decent number of, of chases on pitches outside the zone. So a lot of it depends on price. I generally stay away from guys who are, um, who are, uh Oh, his ADP pages down. Yeah. I can't get it to load right now at all. Oh man, Smata, you're really blowing it here. My goodness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that, um, I generally stay away from the T- the TJ guys just because control is the last thing to come back. And I just, you know, obviously Lamette was nasty, but you know, he also pitched a little bit last year. So Tyone, depending on what the price is, maybe I'll, you know, late round kind of stab at him, but um, he's not necessarily a guy that I want to target just because he hasn't shown necessarily the repertoire that, that I want to see from a guy who I think has a little bit more ceiling. Um, although I do really enjoy him on Twitter. Um, I think he knows pitching really well and, and has been studying up on that. So, and I do like a lot what the what the Pirates have done with their young pitchers. Um, yeah, there's a ton of like there for sure. Yeah. So, so there's reasons to be optimistic. So, if you're, you know, if it's costing you like a pick three hundred something, you know, go ahead and shoot out, shoot at it. And again, we're gonna have, um, 
we're going to, we're going to have a little bit more information come draft time, unless you're crazy and you're already drafting NFC drafts. Yeah. That, that's the biggest thing is I, I, I need to hear more. He's coming off the injury. Like you said, he hasn't put it together enough just yet. If it's a super late dart, sure. If you're in like a 50 round best ball and you want to take him late. Okay. Like I, I get it, but there, there's so much more I'd rather gamble on at certain points in time. Like, why I already go with a guy that might be injured or coming off an injury when you can get someone else to take a chance. Like give me Mitch Keller over Tyon if you want to get weird about stuff like that. I know they're probably going a little bit different, but uh, that that's where I would go. His other question is, do you agree with the idea that pitching falls off kind of fast? We kind of talked about that. It seems like you need at least two starting pitchers in the top 85-ish for a top-tier staff, especially in a head-to-head. Do you kind of agree with that? I'm assuming you do. Yes. I mean, I think you need to. I think you need two starting pitchers in your your the first thirty picks. <laughs> I'd say at least first, the first in the first two first two rounds. I'll say first you, need, you need at least three out of the first four to be starting pitchers to compete in anything. Now, See, I laugh uh, about it, but I can't argue with them. He freaking wins, so it's not like I can. Well, tell yeah, wrong. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, people win not using that strategy either. I, yes, I think it. I think it does fall off. Um, and I believe very strongly in, in drafting starting pitchers very high. And I do plan to draft, you know, and, and again, I think, I think I got a little lazy last year in terms of like my philosophy was so um, or like so orthodox or so rigid that I didn't even like pay as much attention to the starting pitchers in that kind of middle range, you know, maybe as much as I should have. And I think identifying values there is, is something that you can definitely benefit from. So a lot depends on the way that the pitchers flow, but I definitely plan on having, like, I, I definitely plan on having, you know, three starting pitchers in my first five picks for sure. Yeah, no, that that seems just 15, like fifteen team league. Fifteen team league that is. All right, ADPs are back, so we got some more to go off of here. Um, Dave Petros Yellow, frequent listener of the show, he has a question for us, and let me find Alcantara. There he is. Um, he asks, he's a big Alcantara guy, uh, Sandy Alcantara. He loved them this year, but is there profit potential at the early mock ADP? The ADP is 111.4. Uh, that's a pretty high ADP. Um, we're, do you think there's there's profit value there at that point in time? Um, I maybe profit potential is is uh, is is hard. I like Sandy Alcantara a lot. I think he is the best starting pitcher that the Miami Marlins have. Uh, I think he's way better than Sixto Sanchez. Sorry. I had to, I had to, I had to throw that in there, but um, I really, I think he's really good. I think he's got super velocity. Obviously Sixto does as well. Um, and then he's got the changeup, which is really good pitch. I mean, I loved his mentality. You know, I know this isn't like skills based, but I loved his mentality in the playoffs, like where it was clear he wanted the ball pitched well against the Yankees in that start. Like, I just think that he is, he, I think he's, I think he's really good. I think he's a really good, I think he's a really good pitcher. Um, the only challenge for me is that we still haven't seen the strikeout upside um, from him that some of the guys that are going to be going around this point in time um, have. And, you know, um, and so I think that that's the one challenge um, for him um, is, is that piece. But again, he's still he's still really young. Yeah, like his CSW was twenty seven percent, you know, last year. You know, so again, it's kind of like if you want Sixto Sanchez, draft Alcantara way later. But I I don't think there's a ton of room for profit 
within that profile right now. He could always take a jump forward, but I think the challenge with a guy like him is that where does the jump come from necessarily? Because his velocity is already so good. I mean, maybe it's that slider. Yeah, it's probably that slider. If that slider can take that next little jump, you know, maybe that's what it is. But, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton of profit potential there. Yeah, no, I, I like Alcantara quite a bit. He's like a, a stable, almost like a Hendrix S, but like 25 picks later. Uh, the strikeout rate continues to improve over the last three seasons. That's good. He's a heavy sinker ball guy, but it's one of those effective sinkers. I know I talked to Michael Simeone, Mr. SP Streamer, about him and a few others that are pretty knowledgeable in the pitching game, and there's a reason he uses it so much. Usually a guy that's a heavy sinker guy is scary to use in fantasy. His is a heavy, like, decept, like really strong sinker. So that, that's a, a good usage for him. So I, I like Alcantara quite a bit. I think him and Pablo Lopez even are sneaky plays over Sixto Sanchez this year. So, um, yeah, Alcantara I do agree with. The other question he has is he likes Tony Gonsolin and would like him more or almost any – Oh, he would like him more on almost any other team. Yes, we all would like most pitchers off the Dodgers. Um, he says he probably gets about 130 innings tops on L.A. So how high can you draft him? I uh, – how high would you draft him at 130 innings? I I have trouble trouble trusting even 130 innings for Tony Gonsolin, but he's going to ADP 170. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's fine. I think that price is fine. I mean, I'm not. I think Gonsolin's really good, um, and I think what I think is you know obviously playoffs impacts and stuff, but I actually think the playoffs is going to be really good for his ADP. Like people, the last thing people are going to remember is failure you know, essentially like three or four consecutive times during the playoffs from his perspective. But, um, he, um, but he has, he has one thing that very few pitchers have, which is two, uh, pitches that have 20% swinging strike rate on them. Right. And so not many guys have that. And yes, every year we say this about the Dodgers, but, damn, it was probably pretty nice to have Tony Gonsolin down the stretch this year, right? I mean, he's a good pitcher. He's young. He can get better. I got to think more about what the rotation for the Dodgers looks like, but we saw during the playoffs, like, the rotation isn't that deep. I mean, it's Kershaw, Bueller, Urias. David Price. David Price, if he comes back next year, right? You know, which I think is... Still a pretty significant assumption. Um, But, I mean, you know, and again, they make pitchers grow on trees, but that's also baked into the value, I think, a little bit. And so I do think that Gonsolin, round pick 170, a lot would depend on what my team looks like and what news is is out there. But he's got the repertoire to be a very good starting pitcher. Um, And even if it's 120 innings and he replicates what he did during the regular season this year, uh, I think that'll be solid value um, right there. Yeah, See, Armand Marquez goes seven picks earlier. I'd almost take Marquez. I like Chris Bassett five picks earlier. I'll take Chris Bassett. But, mm. yeah, Tyler Molly goes 15 picks later. I like Tyler Molly. But, uh, yeah, there's some interesting ones. That interesting, talk about. There's, that's an interesting grouping of pitchers. It yep. may even – well, we discuss some of them next week. Yes. For you who are into cliffhangers. Yes, we might. Uh, Michael Simeone, SP streamer himself, he asked, and I forgot he asked this before I said the comment earlier, he says, crazy that he prefers Pablo Lopez over every other Marlins pitcher. 
And I kind of agree. Like I was talking about earlier, his home road splits are a little concerning the last couple of years, but he's lights out at home. He's getting better on the road. But, you know, barrel rate dropped this year. Strikeout rate went up to 24 6. Uh, there's just a lot to like about him. And he's one of those guys when you fire up the microwave, it's all red, exit velo, hard hit rate, all the stuff you want to see. It's very, very strong when it comes to um, Pablo Lopez and the developments he's made. His ground ball rate continues to climb up to almost 53% this year. That was a thing of beauty. Um, I, I really like what you see out of Pablo Lopez. His zone rate, uh, zone swing rate gets better and better. His chase rate keeps going up. As his whiff rate goes up, everything you want to see has been great. And I like Pablo Lopez quite a bit going forward. Do you think Alcantara is still their top pitcher, or do you agree with Michael that Pablo is? Hmm. It's a really good question. I'm fascinated by his forcing fastball right now. Why was his forcing fastball so good last year? Because he's that good. Very yeah, good. but yeah, but career <laughs> career nine point one percent. Swing he's, young, he's, young, he's young and he's getting better. That's the best answer I can give you. He's picked one thirty-one too. Thirteen point eight percent. Oh, Pablo Lopez is only twenty-four. Yep, so I'm saying. Why do I feel like he's like thirty? Yeah. Wow. I mean, maybe, and I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, I think that there's a there's a there's an argument that could be made for. There's an argument that could be made for any of those three starting pitchers being the best pitcher on their team. Now, the argument for Sixto Sanchez being the best pitcher on their team involves him totally ditching that sinker. So we're going to assume he doesn't do that. So there's no argument for Sixto Sanchez being the best pitcher on the Marlins. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm actually very impressed. This is the first time that I've really dug into Lopez. Um, I'm really interested to figure out what that four-seam fastball, what is that? What is the issue there? And I expect uh, SP Streamer to write an article on Rotographs explaining to me if he has not already, um, and if he has, he can send me a link to that. But I want to know why, with a 0.4 mile per hour increase in that forcing fastball, why it was so much better this year. Maybe it was just the fact that he threw the changeup so much more, and maybe it tunnels well with it. I don't know. Um, but it's really... I mean, it's a very impressive profile. I have no idea that profile was that good. I had him on a couple teams too, but the thing is if I had a guy on my team and he was good, then why even investigate why he was good? All right, Toby, I'm giving you two minutes for this one because you could talk about this guy forever because you love him and you're going to draft him everywhere this year. But at tag, T-A-G-A-T-E-S 99 asks, are we buying a Musgrove breakout? Of course, we're buying the Musgrove. Yeah, so I was like, you only have two minutes here. <laughs> were we ever not going to buy the Joe Musgrove? Here's a quick little thing about Joe Musgrove, other than the fact that he had a 41.7% K rate in his last five starts this year. 12th in the league, including some relievers in CSW across the full year at 34.6%. Better than Danielson Lamette, better than Dylan Bundy. Better than Aaron Nola, better than Quenta Maeda, better than Frankie Montas, better than Jack Flaherty, better than Garrett Cole, better than Sonny Gray, better than Lucas Giolito, better than Clayton Kershaw. All right, that's one stat for you. I actually haven't looked up this other one. And then, and then he still has a really great percent of pitches that were, that are balls. 
So I say this over and over again, but like Joe Musgrove needs to be 93 to 95 miles per hour. And he will be very good and he needs to avoid injury. And he's never been able to do that. Um, is this the year? I don't know, but I certainly plan on finding out. Okay. We had three other questions, but they're going to be guys we talk about next week. So I'm going to hold those for next week. I hope people don't get mad, but J-Dub, Glaber, and um, Daniel Mendelson, you have three questions that we'll talk about next week for sure. And the other thing I want to check real quick, I know you sent out a tweet. Um, oh, you have a lot of questions too. Oh, my goodness. I didn't see all of these. Um, There's a lot of questions. We'll do rapid fire, Bubba. I'll be really quick. It's a specialty of mine. Okay. Steve Brunn asks, how much are you concerned about innings jumps most starting pitchers are going to have to uh, have in 21? Will that lead you to talk target older starting pitchers as a result? I kind of hit on that. How would you go about that? Yeah, I think we I think we talked about this on the on the last episode as well. I generally think that like, yeah, I mean, I think it sounds like they've been pitching more than we think they are, and so it sounds like the teams are on that. I think the gap between the teams that really know their stuff is going to be greater than the teams that didn't. And I also think that the guys who are your kind of aces, the guys who already pitch volume, are the guys that yes, I I feel better about heading into next year and the other thing we'll check on in this offseason is you mentioned teams that know their stuff we'll kind of look into or somebody will and we'll steal it from them teams that had their pitchers pretty much going six plus innings out the gate they're going to do the same thing that means they had them stretched out going into it like these guys mm-hmm. are ready to go that'll be something we can kind of maybe glean off of some little things there uh bruce kegel jr has a handful of questions here real quick darvish sorry or we talked about carrasco bruce that's our bad <laughs> darvish or bauer uh, for me right now, well, yeah, it depends. It depends. I mean, I think depending on what the news that we get about Bauer, um, I think they're, they're right there for me. They're neck and neck. If I were to look at them just as pitchers right now, um, and, and assume that they're going to throw the same amount of starts, I would go with Darvish. Um, I think I feel better about Darvish's consistency and his repertoire and what he's been able to do for the past about full season now. Um, uh, I feel really good about his ability to do that. I feel a little worse about Bauer's ability to do that, but you know, again, it's just hard to identify what is the, what, you know, what the outlier is with with Bauer, I guess. I don't know. So I would, I would go Darvish if I were drafting right now, but I have a feeling that I'll, uh, that Bauer will move up there um, because I think he's going to try to try that pitching every four day thing or three day thing. Yeah, I'll take Darvish. If Bauer gets his way, though, Bauer goes up to maybe one of the top one or two picks in the draft at that rate. So that changes everything. Um, are you in on Zach Plesak, assuming his draft price goes to like the third or fourth round? Uh, probably not at third or fourth round. Um, I mean, I think there's a, a lot to really like about Plesak um, and his approach. Uh, obviously, super low walk rate, supported by the percent of pitches that were balls. Uh, I think he overperformed a little bit on the strikeout front. Yeah. Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still really solid. So I think he's a really good pitcher. Obviously, you can't really go wrong drafting um, Indians pitchers. I think the one thing where he could take that next step is this year his velo was actually down a little bit, I think like half a mile per hour. If heading into next year he bumps that from like a ninety-three point. I think he's at 93 right now. He was at like 93.5 last year. If he can bump that up a full mile per hour, like 94, 94.5, then I think, I think he maybe can take the next step. 
this year, what, what was his strand rate? His strand rate was like a hundred percent or something like that this year. Um, where was it? Yeah. Strand rate of 91.7% this year, which is laughable and a BABIP of 224. Pretty much. So, so again, yeah, very, very hard to replicate. Doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher. Um, but I, I would not be drafting him in the third or fourth round, probably. Um, how are you handling someone like Steven Strasburg? Uh, I think a lot of that depends on on um, on, uh, on on reports in the spring. I, I wouldn't be drafting him right now um, just because of, of things. But, um, but the thing about Strasburg is he has never pitched and been bad. So if he falls to the point where if you get like a hundred innings pitched out of him and he's still getting you value with how good he is, then, then he could become a bargain. And I think the thing is too, it's like carpal tunnel. I got to research a little bit more about what that means. Like, has there been pitchers that that's happened to like, what exactly does that, does that mean? And hopefully we'll get a little bit more information on that. Um, over the course of the off season, because it doesn't, it's not like an injury that scares me a ton necessarily. Cause it's not must. It's not like a muscle. Yeah. In his arm or back or shoulder. Or elbow. Yeah, the thing with Strasburg, it's interesting because when he pitches, he's always very, very effective. And if you tell me I can get 150 innings, he's going to spend a little time on the, the IL. I'll sign up for it to pick 83. Totally. Like in a heartbeat, because that's what you used to be able to get the 150 innings. We had to pay the first like three rounds. Now, if you get him at pick 83, your SP3, I'll take that in two seconds. So I'll go and, there. And it's such a value proposition, right? Because then it's like, okay, if that's where he's going and the ADP stay the same, do I grab Carrasco there or Strasburg, right? And so, you know, then it's, then it's Strasburg, or I mean, it's Carrasco for me there. Right. But it's just like, I think that's that those are kind of the decisions that you make in the draft. Zach at Zach Roto asks, which, which of these forgotten risky guys are you most interested in with ADP from my first three DC drafts? Mancini at 242, Mr. Trey Boo Boo, uh, Domingo Herman at 278, Marcus Stroman at 286, Yasiel Puig at 299, and Emmanuel Classe at 573. So throwing in a 500 pick with the rest of the 200s is always interesting. But um, which of the forgotten guys out of that group would you like? Definitely not Class A, because I just don't think he's going to be the closer. Um, and he doesn't really have closer stuff. Like he's yeah, never. They got Karinchek. That, that yeah. if he's, not, if he's not the closer, just fire the manager. Yeah. Um, so process of elimination. I mean, Puig. The thing that's so hard about Puig is like, I mean, I assume that he's going to get that he's going to get signed this off season, and, and well, then it twenty twenty two. Exactly. So then it would be Puig. Um, you know, at 299, I, I would probably go Puig in that particular instance. Uh, I have to learn a little bit more about Trey Boo Boo and his, um, you know, his comeback there. Like, what what is the prognosis there and things like that. I mean, that, these are the challenges. I mean, I feel like these are the types of questions that you work out as you draft some of these teams sometimes. But I would love to know the answer to them before I head into drafts, which is why I'm maybe hopefully gonna wait a little while to do that. Yeah, it's it's Puig because it's like we talked about going into last season. He's twenty twenty guy. Like to get a twenty twenty guy around pick three hundred is ridiculous. Now he has to sign. That was the risk a lot of us took. Then we took the the value quote unquote on him this past year, and they never signed. And you know, dropping him. But uh, yeah, it'd be Puig. I'd love it to be Trey Boo Boo. Like you said, if we find out what he's doing, like he's 
he's he's past all his chemo and all that, and he's home when he's starting to get ready for the season. But let's see where he's at too. That's something to think about. But um, Lucas asked Lucas Beery Beery Plocks thirty three. Where would you slot in Max Scherzer, assuming you had a draft today? He's what SP on your board? According to the two early mocks, he's a seventh starting pitcher off the board. We already said we take Aaron Nola over him, maybe even Luis Castillo over him. So where would you take Max Scherzer? Uh, let me get this up here for a second. Um, this terrific resource created by Smata. Um, so I would have him. So, yeah, I would have like Cole, DeGrom, Bieber, Darvish, Bauer, Giolito, Nola. I would probably, I think I'd rather have Castillo, Bueller, Kershaw, and Flaherty. So maybe my SP13. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'd probably be debating him and Woodruff. It'd be a fun debate. Uh, so yeah, and Flaherty, I'm like, always never sold on him. I know people call me an idiot for that, but there's something something about him that I just can't lock my my brain around. But um, I said that about Shane Bieber for a while, and we see where that went. But uh, yeah, I'd probably have him around 12 or 13 as well. He'd be he'd be a fun uh, fun debate with Kershaw because short season love Kershaw, long season. So there's some questions to be had there. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Sands asks, oh, never mind. Two two two. Art from the uh, Triple Play Fantasy asks, uh, Mr. Uh, Cheesecake, who's your best bet starting pitcher past pick 250 to reach top 30 next season? Save that for next episode. I should have finished asking that. Art, we will add that to the list of later round targets that we talk about next week. So it'll also give us more time to give you a better answer than on the fly. But uh, we will save that one for next week. Last but not least, Rand Simon asks, I know you don't do projections, but do you think those that do should include 2020 playoff stats? For some players, the playoffs are a big part of their 2020, and don't we want to have as big a sample size as possible? Including them gives you a truer picture of the players' 2020. I say no because the situation's differently, but I get where he's coming from. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, I think. I no, yeah. I just think that like think about the situations that guys have been facing, the bullpen games, the lack of starters, the quality of the starters that they do face, the quality of the bullpens that they do face, like from a hitter's perspective, from a pitcher, you're just being used differently. You're theoretically playing pitching against the best lineups in baseball. So n- no, I don't. I mean, I think, you know, it's like Brandy Rosarena, of course you're like, if if there was no playoffs, where would he have gone? Right. Yeah. But now there's been the playoffs, and of course you see that, and you're like, oh, man, this guy's dominating some of the best pitching in baseball. He's got this speed. He's got this power. You know, that's really exciting, and it looks like he's probably going to play every day next year, right? Um, you know, just based on what, he was, what he's been able to do. We don't know that for sure, but uh, this is the Rays. So, you know, things like that, like outlier performances, I think always matter, but um, – but generally speaking, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, it's tough to do. It's going to be wild, but uh, it'll be fun. We already have four listener questions for next week, Toby. So we're going to be hyping those Man, up. It's it's the first podcast of 2021, and we're going an hour and 35 minutes with hard hitting analysis and just the most. I don't want to say entertaining hour and 36 minutes <laughs> of 2021 baseball season, but most likely, yeah, the, the most. In entertainment you've had 
uh, looking forward to 2021 since yeah. the season ended. The season's officially over. We've we've been dabbling in 2021 for the month of October, but it's officially 2021 draft season. So um, come, come check all that out. Uh, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick. We'll be back with you guys next week. It's always fun uh, getting this, this early 2021 talk in, and we'll go with some deeper starting pitchers. And keep your listener questions coming. Those are a lot more fun than um, debating things that are going to change uh, about seven times over the next month. So uh, hit us up on Twitter and let us know. But until next time, Toby, we'll see you later. Everybody, have a good evening. Jacob Realmuto. Jacob Realmuto. <laughs>that's going to wrap us up for episode 151 of the batfoot crazy podcast thank you so much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed that we'll be back next week with part two uh, of the pitcher adp uh, debates Uh, had a lot of fun today thank you so much for all of the listener questions Uh, it is awesome to uh to get all of those and it makes the fun the show a ton of fun and also a special shout out um to uh to the folks who joined us in the chat for the uh for the live stream that was there was fun to have samada and, and cubby noel there um, and a couple other folks so uh, thank you for that uh, we'll be back on sunday with that uh, next episode uh, in the meantime best of luck with all of your uh, voting research uh, best of luck with all of your uh, voting and uh, take care and be kind to one another